with you and sharing with you. If you have your Bibles this morning, turn to Luke chapter 19. And um, as you're turning there, I want to start off with uh, making a, a, a couple of statements, and then I want to ask you a question. Uh, the f- couple of statements are simply this. First one is, Jesus Christ is returning to this earth one day, and it could be soon. And I want you to let that sink in for a minute. And here's a verse that kind of uh, accentuates that. Matthew 16, 26, For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and will then repay every man according to his deeds. Jesus Christ is returning to this earth as King of kings and Lord of lords and as, as judge as well. And so he's going to set things right as far as the creation, fall, and redemption, and restoration. There's coming a day when Christ will return to this earth and set things right. And I believe it, it could be soon, and we're going to talk about that. But the other uh, verse you have there is that when Christ comes back in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each, each, one, of, uh, each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Uh, the message that I'm going to share with you this morning, I, I'm just going to kind of give you a little bit of a warning. It's a hard one. Um, it's, it comes from a pastor's heart to speak the truth in love, but because of the days in which we live and the time in which we live, which could be short, I want to encourage you to be diligent, uh, to be busy, to be active, in serving the Lord, because one day when Christ returns, we have to stand before him and give an account of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And this morning, as we look in Luke chapter 19, we're going to look at a parable. And a parable is uh, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. There's some uh, symbolisms, but there's also, there's some similarities between what we see in real life. And uh, these parables Uh, teach us principles related to mainly three things. Uh, They teach us principles related to the king of how we should interpret and understand who this king is. And this morning we're going to look at a different aspect of King Jesus. And they're also uh, designed to teach us about the kingdom of God, the principles and how the kingdom of God operates and what are some of the the key ideas inside of the kingdom of God and, and what we should be paying attention to. And this, the parables also teach us about life in the kingdom and, uh, and the king, but uh, they also teach us about what we are supposed to be doing as servants inside of the kingdom. Turn to your neighbor this morning and say, you are a servant in the kingdom of God. Go ahead. That's what happens. And so as we serve this as a backdrop, we're going to learn about the king, we're going to learn about his kingdom, and we're going to learn about our role uh, as servants, there's approximately uh, 30 different parables uh, in the New Testament. It's a very common teaching tool. Uh, Jesus talked about that he was trying to reveal certain things to people and hide things from other people. Um, some people say there's 37. J. Dwight Pentecost says there's 37. James Montgomery Boyce says that there's 25. <coughs> Charles Ryrie says that there's 30, but it kind of depends on how you look at it. But they revolve around characters, objects, and events. And they teach us about how we are to live inside the kingdom. Now, the parable we're going to look at today is uh, one that is maybe not as familiar to you as others. It's called the parable of the minas. 
and it has a companion parable that's very similar. It's called the parable of the talents. And in the parable of the talents in Matthew 25 and in Luke 19, there are similarities between those two stories that Jesus is giving. In both of those stories uh, that has a heavenly meaning, an earthly story that has a heavenly meaning, in both of those stories we see characters. Uh, the first character is that there's a king. Uh, the next character is that there are servants. In uh, both of the stories, the, the, there's similarities in the fact that the, the king is going to go away on a long journey, and before he goes away on the journey, he calls his servants into his presence, and that's you and me. And he gives them this idea, this command, do business with this, whatever he entrusts to us, and we have a lot. We have time and talent and treasure and resources and gifts and abilities that God has given to us as a body, as a, as a people who follow Christ. But the, the instruction is very clear in both of these stories, do business with this until I return. Be faithful. In both stories, the, the king eventually returns. In both stories, he calls his servants into account. He says, okay, here's a question for you. What did you do with what I gave you? And uh, that is what I believe will be on our final exam. I don't believe that there's any mistake that the fact that Jesus has put this question in both of these stories, and then we're going to look at another passage that says that Christ is going to call us. We're going to appear before the judgment seat. Every believer will appear before the judgment seat. But I do believe that the question will be, what did you do with what I gave you? So we have to be, we have to be very uh, intentional about uh, preparing for that day. In both of those stories... Uh, the, the servants come and they, they give an account. In both of those stories, Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servant to the ones who have been faithful. How many of you want to hear from Jesus, well done, good and faithful servant? Okay, all right. If you have your hand up, there's some preparation because as servants, we have to prepare for that day. And in both of those stories, the, 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 the servants, some of them are rewarded and some of them suffer loss. We don't want to be in that category. But now, those are the similarities. Now, there are differences in both of those stories. Uh, in those stories, in Matthew 25, there's a differing amount of the, the unit of measurement. Uh, in the parable of the talents, the servants were given a talent. Some were given five, and some were given three, and some was given one. And so, in, uh, the, a talent was worth about, is worth about $360,000. That's a lot of money. So, if you had five talents, that's about... $1.8 million. How many of you like to have five talents this morning? Can I see your hand? <laughs> Keep in mind, to whom much is given, much is required, though. <laughs> uh, so the talent, it was a lot of money. The mina, though, on the other hand, was worth about $6,000. It was 1 60th of a talent. So uh, we calculate that to be about $6,000. And so there's a different amount, there's a differing unit, uh, there's similarities, and there's a few differences. But in the, the parable of the mind is what we want to bring out this morning, is that every servant has at least one, has at least something significant to add or to contribute as far as the kingdom of God is concerned. If you know Jesus Christ this morning as your Lord and Savior, he's given you something significant to add, to contribute to his kingdom. So as we look at this, let's uh, turn in uh, Matthew cha uh, Luke chapter 19, rather, verse 11. And I'm going to put these glasses on because the lighting is really bad up here, and you guys need to do something about this, okay? <laughs> I'm coming back if you don't fix this lighting. <laughs> 
And while they were listening to these things, he went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem. And here's the misconception that they have. They supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. They thought that Jesus was just going to go in, Hosanna, and they were going to have the kingdom right then, right there, uh, and Jesus was going to be king. So Jesus, to correct this uh, misconception, he, he gives them this story. He said, therefore, a certain nobleman, that's Jesus, went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and then return. And he called ten of his slaves, uh, that's you, uh, the slaves, and he gave them ten minas and said to them, do business with this until I come back. But his citizens, this is an interesting hinge here where the story, the story turns very quickly. His citizens hated him, uh, strong language, and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. And this sounds eerily similar to what is going to happen to Jesus in just a few days whenever he appears before Pilate and he presents Jesus to the Jewish people. And this was a legitimate offer, by the way, as far as theology is concerned, of, of Jesus was offering the, the kingdom to the Jews. Pilate says, behold your king. And he says, he's not our king. We have no king but Caesar. They rejected the rule, the reign, the authority of Jesus Christ. And as a result of that, God turned his economy, his program, turned from attention to the Jewish nation to a new people. And thank God for that. This is why the church age exists. It was a mystery hidden from past ages, but now it has been revealed. So they uh, talked about that, that we have no king but Caesar. We do not want this man to reign over us. And it came about that when he had returned, the king is returning, after receiving the kingdom, he ordered... Here's his authority. These slaves to whom he had given the money be called to him in order that he might know what business they had done. And here's the, the report. The first appeared saying, Master, your mina has made ten minas more. And this is what God wants us to be. He wants us to be fruitful and productive inside of the kingdom. He said, well done, good slave, because you've been faithful in a very little thing. Be in authority over ten cities. And the second came saying, your mina... Master has made five minas, and he gets the same reward. You are to be over five cities. Another came saying, Master, behold, your mina, which I kept put away in a handkerchief. Now, just so that you're following along, you do not want to be in this category. You don't want to say to Jesus, I took what you gave me, and I hid it. In Matthew chapter 25, it says, I took it, and I buried it in the ground. Do not want to be in it. I was afraid of you. And I think this is something that we wrestle with as far as the kingdom of God is concerned. We wrestle whether or not Jesus uh, really needs us or whether or not we really should be involved in his kingdom. We should be. I was afraid of you. But it's also interesting, by his own words, he condemns himself because you are an exacting man. You take up what you did not lay down and reap what you did not sow. The king says to him, by your own words, I will judge you, you worthless slave. Did you, not, did you know that I am an exacting man, taking up what I did not lay down and reaping what I did not sow? Then why, why, why did you not put the money in the bank? Just a little bit, do something small. And having come, I would have collected it with interest. And he said to the bystanders, take the mine away from him, give it to the one who has ten minas. And they said to him, Master, he has ten minas already. I tell you that to everyone who has shall more be given. And we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 3 in a second. 
But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. And then you could draw a line from verse 27 to verse 14. But these, listen to this category, these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slay them in my presence. Hard words. Typically, we think of Jesus meek and mild, Jesus full of grace, full of forgiveness, and those are all accurate pictures and explanations of Jesus. But there's another side of Jesus, and that is the King of kings and the Lord of lords who's coming one day to set things all right. And he's going to call us into account, and, and it's that day that we are looking forward to, but we have to be in preparation of that day. Now, this parable teaches us three main ideas that the return of Jesus is delayed. That's the first thing that they're going to try to figure out is that, okay, something happened here, and they're going to rehearse this. The second idea is that we should be submitting to the king here and now, and thirdly, we should be serving the king. But those three main ideas are circulated or around those three main ideas are seven principles that we can learn from that. And if you look at your notes, the, the first principle that we want to talk about is that the master is an equal opportunity employer. Ten slaves in verse 16 with one mina each. In this parable, every slave is given a mina. The mina is an illustration of what God has entrusted to you, a spiritual gift. He's entrusted to you something significant to do inside of his kingdom. We'll talk more about that in a second, but you have a gift given to you by God, and it's something that he wants you to do. The, uh, in 1 Peter chapter uh, 4, the Bible tells us, as each one of you has received a gift, use it in serving one another. The picture that we see in this is that in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 10, uh, Jesus uh, descended to the earth. He descended to the lower parts. He came to us. But while he was here and he lived among us and then he died on the cross, the Bible says he ascended up on high. And whenever he ascended up on high, verse 7 from Ephesians 4, the Bible says he gave gifts to men, to his followers. And so this morning, let's be very clear on this. You have a spiritual gift. Turn to your neighbor and say, you have a spiritual gift. It's true. It's true. You may not know what it is. It could be the gift of mercy, the gift of helps, the gift of administration, the gift of exhortation, the gift of teaching, the gift of prophecy. I don't know what that gift is. Sometimes my wife says my gift is the gift of irritation. So I think probably some of you have that gift too. But inside the body, you do have something significant. That's part of the reason and I don't want to get too uh, technical here, but Jesus is still alive today. He still exists today through the members and the parts of his body. And the supernatural ability that God has given to us, if you have the gift of mercy and you're giving a cup of cold water in Jesus' name, it's as if Jesus is here ministering through you. You understand what I'm saying? exhortation helps administration it's as if jesus is here he is still here part of his body you're an extension of his body and as you use that gift god is the one that is honored and glorified god has given to every believer at least one spiritual gift there are entire chapters written about this and i would encourage you to to do more study on this romans chapter 12 is a list of the gifts 
1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12 is a list of the gifts. Ephesians 4 has a list of the gifts as well. And so as we learn what these gifts are, though, we learn that we have a responsibility to put them into practice inside of the body. That's the first principle. Second, the master, King Jesus, has clearly communicated his desires to us. There's no uh, ambiguity about this. There's no, it's not unclear. Verse 13, the king says, do business with this until I come back. Use the gift that God has given to you. Ephesians uh, 2, 8, and 9, uh, we know that by grace we've been saved through faith, not of your, yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We're not saved by works. We're saved by the grace of God. We're saved by the cross of Christ. We're saved by his sacrifice and believing in that sacrifice. But 2, 8, and 9, we have verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, we're not saved by works, but we are certainly saved to work. And God has something in mind that before the creation of the world, that's what it means, beforehand, before the creation of the world, God in his sovereignty could look ahead and see that you were going to be a part of his family, part of the body. And as a result of that, he has given to you something that specifically that he wants you to do in his body. And as a, an extension of uh, the pastor, as, as my heart, my, my blood, my, my soul is a part of this body, what I would encourage you to, to be is, is to be discovering what that is and finding your place in the body and using the gifts that God has given you. He's clearly communicated his, his will to us, his desires to us. Third, the master's servants, though, reject his authority. This is almost unimaginable that you have this king and he gives them direction. And they go, no, his authority and do not obey his mandate. Verse 14, they say, we do not want this man to reign over us. Let me ask you a personal question this morning. Who's in charge of your life right now? Who's in charge? Is it you? Are you the one managing your time? Are you the one managing your money, your life, your direction, where you want to go? That's what we're talking about in here. It it's, it's really comes down to submitting to him. All Jesus wants is everything. And he is a king. And he's the coming judge. We cannot argue with him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. You might say, well, I don't like that. Tough. Too bad. It's going to happen. This is what we know from the scriptures. It's what we know from God's word. It's what we know from his kingdom, the way it is set up, that they reject his authority. In my own personal life, I'll be honest, I wrestled with this. I was saved as a boy, nine years old, just a little small country church, came to know Christ. And I wrestled with this idea. When I got into junior high and high school, and the ideas about, you know, I want to go here, I want to go there, I want to go to this school, I want to this major, I want to be involved in this area, and I don't want anybody. And I was almost like this. But James chapter 4 reminds us that God resists the proud person, but he gives grace to the humble. You have to come to the place where you just stop pushing against God. It's hard for you to push against God. 
So I finally, I came to the place when I was 19, and I um, surrendered to Christ. It was the best decision I've made outside of coming to know Christ is surrendering to him. Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice to him, which is your spiritual service of worship. Do not be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may experience the good, the acceptable will of God. Whenever I submitted to him, I told Christ, I'll go anywhere. I'll do anything you tell me to do. My life is just drastically changed for the better. Just I could go through all of what God has done. His faithfulness, his goodness, his mercy as just a simple act of saying, God, you're in charge. I challenge you this morning. Make sure you do not reject his authority. Surrender to him because one day we will stand before him. We'll stand in his presence and you can't escape this 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 appointment that we have. It's better to do it now. Fourthly, the master is returning one day and will call us into account. Verse 15 says that he might know what business they had done. Now, I'm not sure if you're a, a, a keeping up with current events as far as what's happening in the world. But there are prophecies in the Bible that tell us uh, about the, the, the return of Jesus Christ. Now, we don't know the day nor the hour, but we can see the day approaching. The book of Hebrews tells us that we are to encourage one another. And all the more, as you see the day approaching, so we can have a glimpse, an idea of when the return of Christ is going to come. It looks like it's going to be soon. Now, think about this. For the first time in human history, we have certain events that were prophesied thousands of years ago that uh, said that these would be the, the, the forerunners, the, the foretelling of the return of Christ. And one of those is that Israel has to be in the land. 1948, a miracle of miracles. For almost 2,000 years, they weren't in the land. And then uh, they were, they're, they're in their homeland. In 1967, they were attacked by the, the nations around them. And not only were they in the land, they are in possession of Jerusalem which in order for the prophecies and revelation to take place, they, have, they must be in the land and they must be in possession of Jerusalem. Those two things. Now, prophecy revolves around Israel. The return of Christ revolves around Israel. So we understand that that's, those are two very big pieces of the pie, but we also see in Daniel and Revelation some of the other things that there's worldwide travel. Daniel says that in the last days, people will be going from to and fro from, from the whole world. In the book of Revelation, during the tribulation, the two, the two witnesses are killed, and it says that the whole world will see it simultaneously. So we understand what that is, right? Satellite television, we can see what's happening on the other part of the world. For the first time in human history, certain things are lining up for the return of Christ. And so we, we see other prophecies. Israel is surrounded by enemies. Are you, are you paying attention to the news today? They're being fired upon with rockets. They are surrounded by enemies. Their stated goal is to push, to drive Israel into the sea, to, to completely exterminate them. Now, God's not going to have any of that. He's not going to have that. The nations are going to try, but eventually King Jesus returns, and we will be with him at that time. The master is returning one day, and he will call us into account. But looking at our world, and this is my, if I could put my arm around you and counsel you personally, I'd say, 
be understanding of this fact. Christ is returning, and it could be soon. It looks like it is going to be soon. Fifth, the master expects us in this time delay to be fruitful. The servants come to him, one minus has made ten minus more, and then the next one, one minus has made five minus more. God, the reason that God created you is that you, Isaiah 43, 7, is that you, you were created to bring God glory. That's why you exist. And you take up time and space and oxygen and, and why God has placed you here on this earth at this time. Theologians called it the summa theologia, that the sum of all theology is that one day, in the culmination of all things, the maximum amount of glory is going to be brought to God, and you are a part of that play, that drama. Now, you may ask, well, how? How do I bring glory to God? Well, it's revealed in his word, and it's, it's, it's a developmental thing that uh, you come to know Christ, and you're a baby. You're born again, but you should not stay a baby. You should grow. You should develop. By this time, Hebrews says, by this time you ought to be teachers. There's a developmental theology. You should, you should take the word in on a consistent basis. You should learn how to communicate and talk with your Father and who is in heaven. You should learn to use the gifts and serve the body of Christ. So this is what I'm challenging you. Find some place in this body to serve Christ. Get involved somewhere. It's one thing to discover your gift. It's another thing just to get involved. Start serving. Time is short. And then eventually, John 15, 8, if we know Christ, if we're growing in Christ, if we're serving Christ, if we're using our gift, John 15, 8, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. God wants you to be fruitful, the fruitful of your, fruitfulness of your life, your character, your testimony, the fruit of the Spirit, but also the fruit of using the spiritual gifts that he has given to you. That's the stewardship that we have one day. The master is returning, and he, he's going to call us into account, but he expects us to be fruitful. The sixth thing we want to take a look at from this story is the master will evaluate us in the next life based upon what we do in this life. This is where the final exam part of this comes un, into play. If you will, turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and we'll take a look at this time in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10 of 1 Corinthians, according to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, the Apostle Paul talking here, I laid a foundation, and this is what Brian and Steve and Dave and others have been laying, and another is building upon it. But let each man be careful about how he builds upon it. Let's be careful. Let's, let's examine these things. For no man can lay a foundation. Jesus is the, the cornerstone. He's the foundation which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. However, we build upon the foundation of knowing Christ. Now, if any man builds upon the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it. Martin Luther says that there's only two days. There's this day, and there's that day. There's today, and there's the day when Christ returns. For the day will show it, because it is to be re revealed with fire. Revelation 19 says that whenever Jesus returns, that he will have blazing eyes of fire. <laughs> you want me to say that again? <laughs> blazing eyes of fire. 
I think that's what's going to be the judgment. It's going to be the eyes of Jesus Christ as we stand before him. And if we've laid a good foundation, if we've, we've, we've added to our faith virtue, knowledge, self-control, etc., if we've disciplined ourselves for the purpose of godliness, if we've used the gifts that he has given to us, and when his gaze comes upon us, it will be gold and precious stones in his name. But if we have not worked, if we have not added to our faith, if we have not served, there's going to be a lot of Christians saved, as this passage says, though, yet so as by fire. Uh, as we continue, if any man's work, or the, each man's work will become evident to be trial of the fire. The fire itself will test the quality. If any man's work which he has built upon it remains, he shall receive a, word, a reward. And there's lots of ideas about what that might be, but it's, it's responsibilities inside the kingdom of God. We have a thousand-year reign, and then after that eternity, we have responsibilities. Christ will reward us. If any man's work is burned up, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as through fire. This examination that we talked about for in, in 2 Corinthians 5, where we must all appear before the judgment seat, it's not for salvation. It's for our rewards. And I don't want you to lose sight of this idea that it's something, some type of competition. No, it's just an expectation. That if we know Christ, we are to be growing and knowing him, growing and serving him and going for Christ. It's not, it's not a competition, uh, but God wants us to be busy. As we look, number seven here. Unfortunately, this aspect of Jesus we don't necessarily like to talk about. And that is this, that the master will not accept, accept weak excuses. Jesus says of himself, I am an exacting man. Hebrews 4.13 says that all things are open and laid bare before the eyes of whom we have to deal. Jesus knows. Jesus knows what's going on in your life. Jesus knows what you do. Jesus knows where you go. Jesus knows what is happening in your life. All things are open. Every idle word will come into focus. We are stewards of all that God has entrusted to us. Now, just listen to some of the areas that God has given to us. In addition to salvation, we, we sang about that earlier, we have the gift of salvation. Uh, amazing grace that it is, but we also have time. Everybody in this room has the same amount of time, 168 hours in a week. That's 24 times 7, just so you catch up there. 168 hours in a week. What do you do with that time? Well, most of us, we're, we, we work, we sleep, we eat, we groom. Some of us groom more than others. Not mentioning any names. <laughs> it works, it works. <laughs> but you have between 20 and 25 hours a week. I've done enough time analysis with people most everybody's got between 20 and 25 hours. When you say, no, I don't. Yeah, if we did a time analysis, it would be there. And that's your discretionary time. Uh, and what I would encourage and challenge you with is that this church needs you. This church needs, it's not just this church, but the kingdom of God needs you. And you're here. You're a part of this church. Get involved. Serve somewhere. Use your time. Don't, don't be those people who stand before Jesus and say, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? I don't know what you're talking about. There's this whole idea of what did I do? I don't know. No. No, you, it, it's going to happen. 
Use your time to serve Christ. Your talents. Some of you, there's a, in this room, we have the potential, we have the ability to impact our community for the cause of Christ. Lay your talents out before the Lord. You know what worship is? Worship, really, whenever you boil it down. Worship is offering all that I have, all that I am, and th there's a picture back there. This guy's holding his arms up like that and giving it all to him. That's what worship is. Everything that you have, everything that you are, everything that you will ever be, you give to the King of kings and Lord of lords and let him take it and use it. Use your time, your talents, your treasure. Don't think of your money as your money. It's not your money. God has given you the abilities. God has placed you in that job. God is, is giving you the opportunity to make that money. And it's just understand this, that money is a, is a tangible measuring a measurement of your heart. Jesus himself said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. If you're not tithing, if you're not giving to the church sacrificially, what are you doing? Not only does this church need your time, your talents, this church needs you to be investing financially. Because again, eventually we're called into account. So your time, your talent, your treasures, your testimony, this witnessing class that's coming up and this series of teachings that are coming up. Make sure you understand how to share your story. My life was like this and now it's like this or God has done this. Share your testimony with other people around you. And then your temple, the body that God has given to you. First Corinthians chapter 6 says, Do you not know that your body is not your own? That you're bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body? Your body is not your own, it is God's. And so take care of it. Make sure that you are reflecting the image, the nature, the character of God in you. Christ in you. The hope of glory. It's reflected by how we live. Now, as we conclude this morning, let me just review this parable for you. King Jesus is on a long journey. But he's returning. Right? We need to understand that. It could be soon. When he returns, he calls his servants into his presence. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So he's going to return. He calls us into account. As he calls us into account, what he's looking for is what the question is, and this will be on your final exam, what did you do with what I gave you? That'll be there. I, I give final exams, and I give my students a study guide, and they appreciate it very much. Do you appreciate the fact that we already know what the question is going to be. What did you do with what I gave you? And so we, we must be preparing now. The king calls us into account. We give an account. And what we want to hear from him, begin with the end in mind. We want to be there. And as his gaze comes upon us, yes, we, we have failed. We fail in many ways. He's not going to not allow us into heaven because we don't work for salvation. That's already taken care of. But we work to please him. We work because he has done so much. We serve because he's done so much for us. We serve out of, not out of a sense of guilt, but out of a sense of gratitude. This is all he's done for us. Eternity. We have eternity with him. So that story comes down to us here today. 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 What do you do with this? I would encourage you. If you do not know Christ, receive the king.
John 1.12 says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right, the authority, the privilege to be called the sons of God, the sons and daughters of God. If you don't know Christ here this morning, make sure that you come into a right relationship with Jesus Christ because the king is returning. Secondly, listen. Listen. Pay attention. You need to tell your kids that? Pay attention. Listen to the king. He has messages. He has something that he wants you to do inside of his kingdom right here, right now. Listen and serve the king. Matthew 20 says that when we've done everything that we ought to have done, we should consider ourselves as unworthy servants. And that's what we are. It's amazing what God has done in our lives. I mean, that's what amazing grace is all about. But today, I encourage you, I challenge you to be active, to be busy. Jesus is returning soon. Let's have prayer together. Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace to us, God. We recognize these gifts that you've given to us this morning. They come from you. Because of your great love for us, Christ has come to us in our weakness, in our inability to respond to you. Christ has come. But not only has he come to give us eternal life, he's come to give us abundant life. And God, this morning, as we look at this story, God, we see the king, we see the fact that we're servants, we see our responsibilities is to be busy for you. I pray for each person here today. I ask God that your spirit would be speaking directly, specifically to them. And if there is adjustments that they need to make in their lives, God, I pray that you would help them, empower them to make those adjustments so that one day, whenever we stand before you, we can hear from you, well done good and faithful servant. In Christ's name.